In this episode, we're going to talk with Maurice Thomas, director of the Useful Science website and podcast, about science communication and popularization, and about how it can enrich your graduate school experience and your career as a young researcher. We're also going to hear about her PhD and about her recent experience going abroad for her postdoc and about her insights on how to make the best of this first dive into the academic career. I think, yeah, there is that worry in the back of your mind that uh, maybe you'll get a negative reaction or that they'll say something about how you should be in lab instead. Um, for me, having that extracurricular activity, and I, and I did a few things. Outside of useful science, I also I uh, played sports. I was big in ultimate frisbee in undergrad or, and, and during my PhD. Um, and for me, those experiences uh, were probably the most memorable part of uh, my whole doctoral experience. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Maurice Thomas is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear and Harvard Medical School in Boston. Originally from Montreal, she received her PhD at McGill University in the field of auditory neuroscience. Maurice is interested in digital media and science communication and has been the director of the website usefulscience.org since 2018. Useful Science publishes short summaries of scientific research relevant to everyday life and also produces a podcast that dives into the science behind those studies. Welcome to Papa PhD, Maries. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for having me. So I've been wanting to have you on the show ever since we met uh, at a science communication event here in Montreal a few months ago, and I'm really, really happy to have you on the mic today. Um, Maurice, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in science, how you got into research, uh, leading to uh, the, the, the academic path that brought you to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, so uh, growing up, um, both of my parents are from Quebec. I was born in Montreal and we spoke French at home. But um, actually, when I was four years old, we moved to the United States. Uh, we moved to Colorado and we lived there for 10 years. And during that time, I actually um, stopped speaking French completely. So I, I don't really remember it because I was so young, but apparently I was you know, like really stubborn. And I told my parents I didn't want to speak French. I wanted to speak English like my classmates. Uh, and so I kind of lost that. Um, but then when I was about 11 or 12 uh, in middle school, I think I still had this feeling that I knew French was uh, really important to my culture and that I wanted to um, have it as a part of me. And so I started taking French classes again. I took French classes all throughout uh, middle school and through high school. And then eventually I returned to Montreal to do both my undergraduate and eventually my PhD. And um, at that time, I uh, kind of realized how much, um, I guess, how far behind I felt in French when I arrived. And so there was kind of this like eternal struggle uh, with learning French. And it wasn't until I lived in Montreal for at least three or four years that I finally started to feel comfortable again with the language. Um, and eventually this did influence my trajectory to my PhD. Uh, my undergraduate was in cognitive science, and I had the opportunity to do a fourth year honors research project. 
And I chose to do the project in the field of neurolinguistics. Um, and my first project was actually about bilingualism. And so that was just a great experience, uh, which led me to pursue a PhD afterwards. And my first PhD project was also about language uh, that was part of a rotation. And then finally, the lab that I ended up settling on in my PhD was an auditory uh, neuroscience lab. And so it had uh, the same elements of thinking about communication and um, acoustic, you know, information. Uh, and I ended up studying auditory neuroplasticity, which is the uh, process of how the brain changes in response to the sounds that you hear and interact with throughout your whole life, which actually is really related to language learning. Um, and that's also what I'm still doing during my postdoc. Yeah, there's a lot of research around that at McGill. Uh, uh, there's uh, Dr. Zatori's lab. I don't know if that's the one you were at. I mean, I was in Etienne de Villers Sidani's lab. Okay, but it's mm -hmm. it's interesting. I I really really love that uh, that uh, domain. Uh, I I don't think we're gonna we're gonna start talking about that, or else we won't <laughs> we won't stop. But it's uh, it's really cool to me. I being uh, I was born in Belgium of Portuguese parents. Spoke French first, then we came back to Portugal, learned Portuguese, eventually learned English, and and I really like uh, that science behind uh, bilingualism or just uh, just learning new, new languages and uh, how your brain <laughs> and how kids brain specifically because now i have children adapt to to the, to to this and how there's windows that you that, that are better for for learning super super interesting exactly yeah that always fascinated me as well mm. and so you had this interest that that came from your 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 story basically you you kind of uh you kind of said no at a certain point to 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 talking this language which was not the one that everyone around you was was uh was speaking and eventually you came back and uh you wanted to explore that but in the in the scientific uh in the in the more the neuroscience of it that's very very interesting uh and you know you're now doing a postdoc uh in the united states Do you want to talk a little bit about that? How, you know, how the PhD went and how you then uh, navigated your way to to the postdoc today? So I actually only finished my PhD pretty recently. I defended in December, and I had actually started my postdoc before uh, I even defended. So my I was um, uh, right now I'm in Montreal because of current um, circumstances, but I've been living in Boston since September. So that's when I started the postdoc. Um, and the way that came about was uh, actually through a conference that I attended during my PhD back in 2015. Um, so at that conference, I met a researcher who was doing research pretty similar to um, to me. And we stayed in contact throughout those years. And eventually she started her own lab. And so that's the lab that I'm working in now. Um, and so the end of the PhD was it was definitely interesting having that overlap. It was not easy um, uh, to balance both. Um, but in the end, uh, I managed to get it done in 2019, and that was my goal. Um, so I'm happy with the way it turned out. Mm -hmm. So how did you balance? You're talking about balancing the two things uh, because you for sure had pressure to finish writing. I don't know if you if you still had uh, experiments or changes to your thesis, but uh, how was that uh, period where you had like one one foot in? In, on on either side, one in your postdoc, one in your PhD. How did you manage that? What challenges did you face during that time? Mm -hmm. 
there was some time management, of course. Uh, so I had just moved to this new city and, you know, I wanted to visit everything. I wanted to check out the museums. Uh, I wanted to, um, you know, I bought a bike. I wanted to bike around, but I just couldn't do that. I spent every weekend working on my thesis. And at the end, yeah, it was revisions um, uh, based on um, manuscripts that we had submitted and so uh, some of the changes that I had to make were unexpected. Um, and so that kind of would add extra challenges along the way. Um, but really, it was just kind of keeping my head down and uh, doing it with every spare moment that I had until it was finished. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you weren't biking, uh, you know, visiting Boston, but did you have any other... Uh, ways that you were dealing with any stress or anxiety that you might have? I mean, uh, sports, um, you know, because I, I imagine being in a city that you want to visit a lot and staying weekends at home riding, you still must have had some way of, of uh, you know, either spending energy or resetting uh, your your inner peace, let's say. Yeah. Well, luckily I had, uh, I joined a very social lab um, that really took me uh, under their wing right away. And so whenever we had a social, um, a social event, like a dinner or, you know, a happy hour at the end of the week, I would always join in on that. And that kind of did feel like I was building a network as I was there. Um, I also uh, made a point of getting in touch with people that I knew in Boston. So uh, there's a big Montreal and McGill community in Boston. There's just this network of researchers who end up going there uh, oftentimes for postdocs or PhDs. And so I had some friends that I uh, either didn't know very well or hadn't spoken to in a few years that I made a point of getting in touch with. And so having those familiar faces around me um, in Boston also helped, I guess, with that whole experience. And some of them had gone through similar things as me. Now they're, they're postdocs with two years of experience under their belts. And so I was able to ask them about how they Uh, manage that experience and and that transition. Well, that, that's very interesting, and I think it's uh, it's something that that uh, is very important to uh, look well to try and have some social you know uh, some sort of social uh, net uh, you know social network that you can rely on to just stay sane. <laughs> yeah. But in your case, also to go talk with people who were already going through. Uh, you know, other later chapters of the of this new uh, of, the, of this new path that you were following to to kind of get there to learn the ropes or, or get their lessons learned. Uh, it's, it was a, I think you did you know you did very well to to force yourself maybe to uh, <laughs> to do that that socializing. Uh, I did not know that uh, that there was a community uh, that there was a McGill Montreal community uh, in Boston. I do have uh, friends there actually from the PhD, but I didn't know that the, there was actually a kind of a small network. That that, that must have been good and uh, must have been uh, something that helped you uh, uh, helped you um, feel more at home in in a place where you were totally new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a McGill Alumni Association and I've been told that it's the biggest outside of Canada. Oh wow. Okay. Um, So I did uh, attend a few of their events. Can you share a little bit about um, what type of events these were? Yeah, I joined the trivia night. Um, but they do, uh, they do a wide variety of events to um, uh, kind of have something that interests uh, everyone. So I know they do... Um, let's see what else. 
They'll do like pub nights, uh, they'll do trivia nights, but they'll make sure that they do them in different neighborhoods so that uh, uh, they're close to uh, different people. And they also will put on um, more formal events. Uh, for example, they'll invite speakers to come and talk about scientific topics or perhaps other topics. Um, so there was a, a night about music and the brain, actually. Unfortunately, I couldn't go to that one, but um, it was re re relevant. Wow, that's very cool, and uh, it's something that I, I it had never come up uh, in conversations that I've had that you might be uh, in another city, in another country, and there might be uh, uh, alumni associations of the university you come from, and for sure use that and and use that as a kind of a welcoming party for you if you if you're arriving. Uh, and you're you're uh, alone in a new city for sure that that's Ab absolutely yeah super good to hear and um the other the other thing that i'm that i'm curious is um now you're doing your postdoc uh i imagine that you're, you're all you know well now you're here in montreal but your life in boston is is pretty settled and you've you've learned uh, the ropes let's say uh, but apart from that you also have uh a project in science communication and we'll maybe talk more a little bit more about it in part two of the interview but what i wanted to know is throughout all of this how were you able to uh to uh put time into uh useful science mm, that's a great question um because that was also a challenge um it was difficult luckily we have a large network of contributors associated with useful science And so um, there were people that I could ask for help or that I could kind of um, delegate certain tasks to. But for sure, I felt like I kind of put it on the back burner uh, during that um, last push to finish. Uh, right now, it's an interesting time because now we're talking four months after I finished and I have been heavily involved again in the last four months. Um, and now we're... Uh, it's an interesting time to be a science website when there's a global uh, pandemic happening. And so, of course, this was um, something that we felt like we needed to act on and, and create content about. And we have a podcast about it. Um, and so it's actually led to even more contributors to um, approach us to ask about joining. And so that's almost a silver lining about this whole situation is either it's because um, there are individuals who have more time on their hands because maybe they they're out of work because of um, the situation or, uh, there's more emphasis on the importance of, uh, scientific communication in the media and the, the message that we're sending. And so that's encouraging people to, to look for these kinds of opportunities. Um, but both are exciting, uh, because it gives us the chance to, uh, give that training to people who might not have sought it out otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, in your experience, uh, looking at your your colleagues doing, the, you know, the, those that were doing a PhD when you were doing a PhD, or now that are doing postdocs, uh, do you feel that uh, people who are you know graduate researchers, postdocs, are are um, you know putting their getting their hands more and more into uh, having a side project like? you know l launching a podcast or having a, a blog or, or something that that resembles what you do with useful science uh, I, i'm just curious if if uh, what you're saying kind of has repercussions in the in the community as a whole 
I just want to take a moment before going on with the interview to let you know that you can help me end the show by leaving a star rating and a comment on your podcasting app. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash PhD now and become a supporter. For the equivalent of a coffee per month, you'll be helping me immensely with the recurring costs of hosting and producing the show. Again, thank you for being a true fan. Yeah, I definitely felt that at McGill. Uh, for example, the event that we met at, it was a science communication day, and there was a, a number of groups there that had tables that were sharing the work that they were doing. Um, and there were groups of students, it's through, it's through graduate students. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They were, I would say, I think all of them were graduate students. Um, I think there has been a growth in this um, SciComm or science communication um, world that has uh, really managed to reach out and has struck a chord, I think, with a lot of grad students who feel like they want to be doing a bit more with um, maybe the skills that they've learned in grad school or who might even be looking to for other career opportunities or to change their career paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing that has been happening and that I've I've noticed is there's more and more tools that that low that lower the the bar uh, to 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 be able to let's say launch a podcast or or um, uh, create a website. It's it's much easier. You don't need a programmer. Uh, you don't need a, a studio. And maybe that also is is making people consider that as more of an option and and diving in. Let's say. Yes, absolutely. And the same goes with our website. For example, we're able to be completely remote. All of our contributors um, are all over the world. And we can do that because of the these free tools that we can use online. Um, so the podcast happens remotely. The website happens remotely. All of our editing is remote. Um, and so we've definitely benefited from that. So now this, this makes me think of something uh, interesting. Now we're talking about uh, how our scientists, our researchers have a, have an easier time maybe today uh, putting their own information out there in the format that they want. Um, and today we're in this uh, in this pandemic. Uh, we're uh, we're at home. We're listening to the news every day. Uh, people, you know, talking about uh, face masks, talking about confinement, deconfinement in different countries, and information from different sources contradict themselves. Uh, and um, I feel that. It's maybe uh, an opportunity for scientists and uh, and uh, let's say epidemiologists, etc., to to go out and be their own uh, messengers instead of sometimes letting some media platforms uh, distort uh, distort what they say. Um, and I think the I really like that the project that you have with with useful science really does that. It brings scientists and researchers to the fore to let them talk about their research. I, I, I imagine and I feel that we're going to see more and more of that uh, in the coming in the coming years and and I feel that this moment that we're living through may even bring more people like you were saying to um you know dip uh, dip their toes in this science communication uh, pool. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. And um I'll just clarify uh what we're doing on the website. Um we actually have uh a large, again, this, this network of contributors who are mostly graduate students, um, you know, some med students, some science teachers, some early career researchers like postdocs like myself, 
Um, and they're actually summarizing the work of other researchers that we kind of curate uh, from what we find in our reading or uh, on, or from things that we're interested in and that we actually look up ourselves. And the benefit of this is that for our contributors, they are uh, reading outside of their domains. And that's something that, uh, for example, I never did uh or why I would never have done if not for useful science during my PhD. Um, so they're getting used to reading outside of their domain, seeing what other types of science, um, what their publications are like, maybe learning new types of statistics from doing that type of reading. And then summarizing that information into a succinct um, sentence or sometimes one, one or two sentences that then um, could be a little bit more easy to digest by the average person. And I agree that um, what what this is doing is giving these, uh, sometimes our scientists are not summarizing their own research. I think that would be possible. But for the most part, we're doing um, uh, different types of science that aren't necessarily uh, the types of papers you would find on our website. For example, my research is about um, brain circuits. And so it's, it's hyper-specific. And so it wouldn't appear probably on useful science. Um, but it does give our contributors this voice um, and this ability to now craft a concise summary that um, that they might not have uh, learned otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like the, the latest episode was with uh, someone that was on Papa PhD, who was uh, Cindy Huffington, about uh, temper tantrums and uh, about uh, the, the science that, that we and I'm thinking about the podcast, of course. So the process of bringing the information is digesting science from different sources and make it make it simpler so that the the, the general public can uh, can understand it that's right and uh, and I should mention yeah there's both the written communication and the oral communication with our podcast uh, so we really enjoyed having example we had Cindy having 10 on um, and so to speak about temper tantrums uh, a few weeks ago, we did have one of our own contributors speak about their research for the very first time, and they were speaking about a paper uh, that they had written that was about um, politics and polarization. And I found that that was super interesting and very amazing to listen to them speak about their, their own research. Mm -hmm. And what I really like is we're talking about uh, temper tantrums, so it's, this is child development, uh, and we're talking about politics, it's a completely different domains. That's what I, I really love, that you, you have contributors that are coming from very, very different areas. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, I, I'm a fan of the project, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think uh, that's clear. And uh, uh, Anyway, we'll talk maybe a little bit more uh, in detail about it, uh, although we already covered some things, uh, but in, in part two and, and also on how people can maybe contribute. But now what, I, what I'd like to, to talk about is, so you have had these two hats, let's say, for a couple of years now, researcher and director of, of useful science. And often uh, when people are, especially in the, in the life science, in the life science domain, people who are in a PhD or in a postdoc, uh, they may think, I don't have time to have a side project. Or my supervisor would never, uh, you know, be happy that I, that I was in, you know, implicated in something else than just my research. Did this happen to you? Or did you always have supervisors that were uh, understanding and that uh, supported you in, in that? So I, I did have a good relationship with my supervisor, but I would say that I didn't 
a hundred percent tell him every time I was doing something outside of research. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, there is that worry in the back of your mind that uh, maybe you'll get a negative reaction or that they'll say something about how you should be in lab instead. Um, for me, having that extracurricular activity and I, and I did a few things outside of useful science. I also, I uh, played sports. I was big in ultimate Frisbee in undergrad or, and, and during my PhD, um, I also participated on the Graduate Student Association of Neuroscience. And for me, those experiences uh, were probably the most memorable part of uh, my whole doctoral experience because those are, you know, the friends I made traveling to tournaments across Quebec um, for Frisbee, places that I hadn't been before, uh, meeting people in different departments and and so they were valuable. And then some of them carried over. For example, useful science is still ongoing. And so they've been like these threads that have um, out in, in some ways might outlast your PhD, especially those friendships that you make. And so for me, they were valuable. And I think they help you um, kind of keep perspective during the PhD. Uh, because say if your research isn't going super great at the moment, at least you have this other project that you maybe can feel passionate and excited about. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, that's that's super good advice. I, the, I, I really believe that putting all all your eggs in one basket, as as, uh, as people say, is uh, is a risk when you're doing a PhD, and and uh, especially in our domain where things can start not working and not work for months uh, <laughs> on end. You know, uh, for sure, uh, I, I really uh, I hope the listeners are taking notes, and I think the the take home uh, message, uh, and, and tell me if you agree, is. Uh, try and have other activities uh, on the side um, that that you enjoy doing, where you meet people uh, and um, and uh, where you establish connections and where you create things. I think uh, that's that's probably very important too. Uh, what wouldn't you say? I would agree. Yeah. And now we I just talked about people and. So you started in science because of a, an, an inner uh, curiosity that you had or an inner interest for a specific domain. Uh, and you, you did your PhD, you met people, you uh, were in, in student associations, uh, you established contacts. And then eventually uh, you now moved countries and you're doing a postdoc elsewhere. Some of these projects have continued, like you said, uh, useful science is, is one of them. What about the connections? What about the networking? How... Does uh, you know how does that translate from being in the PhD, meeting all these people, and then going on to the next chapter? Did 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 some of these connections um, stay, uh, and uh, and how do they impact your your life as a as a postdoc today? So for me, those connections ended up um, being super important and kind of determining the. Um, the path I took because I actually met both of my supervisors, both my PhD supervisor and my postdoctoral supervisor through networking. Um, the first was through a conference, a local symposium in Montreal. And then the second was through uh, this international uh, conference that my uh, professor had actually sent me on. And so for me, those connections ended up being just um, the thing that kind of, I guess, led me on my path. 
Um, and earlier I was talking about social connections. I feel like those are also important. And I think maybe even both of these started as social, just someone you start speaking to at a conference and then led into something professional. Okay. And um, I imagine, well, w one of the things that I, that is clear is the projects that have continued, such as the, such as uh, useful science, you know, it's easy to understand that, that these connections that, and this network is still alive and that you, you still, uh, you're still in it. But um, now, a lot of people, uh, or most people, when they do a postdoc, they move somewhere else to do their postdoc, and often move cities or countries or, or continents, <laughs> depends. And you've already said that you have as, uh, one network of people who, uh, whom you can be anywhere in the world and be in contact with them, because you're doing this project together and everyone's working remotely. What about, you know, for, for someone who's thinking, should I do a postdoc? Am I... Am I made for a postdoc? How am I going to um, feel? How am I going to um, go through this thing of moving away from my family, maybe, uh, uh, and and staying uh, abroad for, I don't know, two years, three years, four years, depending? Uh, can you give insights for people who are considering it uh, on how the experience is? You already talked about um, getting in touch with student associations of your um, alma mater, which is great. But I don't know if you, if you might have some other insights for, for someone who's maybe in doubt uh, as to should they or should they not go abroad to do their postdoc. Yeah, that can be tough. Um, when I think about my own situation, uh, when I had been living in Montreal for 10 years, so I felt really comfortable. I was living with my partner and um, moving to Boston meant that we would be in a long distance relationship. And so I had all of these things to consider. And for me, it kind of came down to um, the fact that I felt like this was a an opportunity that if I didn't take it, I would always be wondering what if, like what would have happened if I had taken it. Um, Maybe three years ago, I would have said to myself that I never wanted to do a postdoc. Um, but then I ended up changing my mind because the uh, um, the person who I had the opportunity to do a postdoc with was someone that I realized I already knew, I had a good connection with, and I knew our research interests were very well aligned. So it ended up being like the right um, opportunity to get me to change my mind. And I'm, and I'm so glad I did because it's been great so far. And I would say, um, that doing research at a different institution. So a lot of people, um, there is the idea that you should do your postdoc somewhere different from your doctorate. Uh, I, I know that's encouraged, especially by funding institutions, um, like NSERC and CIHR. And I think there is a good reason for that. So it really opens your eyes to how research is conducted elsewhere. Um, you get a whole brand new pool of speakers that come to your institution to speak that you might not have seen otherwise. Um, and uh, there's kind of a different energy. And it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just a different one. And it is really interesting and motivating to kind of see that and understand it. And I do feel like my my eventual goal is to return to Montreal. Um, that's still, I, I have that place in my heart because it's where I'm from. Um, and, but I would go back with now these new um, experiences. And so I feel like for me, it's, it's definitely been a positive experience. And so far, it's, it's still short. It's only, you know, six or eight months in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for now, it's all, it's all good. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, again, for people, because I've, I've crossed people in my life who would have been very 
stressed or very very scared of of leaving their country and uh, and of, of leaving home etc etc leaving saying going away from their parents and family you know apart from uh, what you already mentioned meeting people who uh, who actually come from montreal <laughs> was is there any other resource or any, any other any other tool that you use to to stay close even though you're afar and to to not feel uh, that that uh, that distance so much? Well, we were earlier, we were talking about uh, digital tools and how they are helping uh, anyone kind of create their science communication websites and opportunities. There are so many digital tools. And now that uh, this pandemic has made them even more accessible, I think, and uh, uh, on everyone's mind. So for example, you know, if you want to start having Zoom chats with your family, it's, it's so easy now. And now we realize that. Um, it's, you know, in the last two months, I've spoken to people who I probably wouldn't have spoken with on a regular basis, just because everybody <laughs> almost feels closer in that way. That's true. That's true. Uh, and so, yeah, with my family and with my partner, I was definitely speaking to them more often on the phone and keeping in touch that way. We developed a routine where every night on my walk home from the train station, I would, uh, I you know, I would call and that would be the time that we would talk every day. And so having that routine was also, um, uh, helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good advice too. Uh, depending on on the, the the how people are, how close people are with their family, um, it, this the solution can be different for each and every person. But I would say, uh, you know, in in terms of emotional and mental health, do try to to stay in touch uh, as much as possible. And today, like you were mentioning, it's super easy, and you can see the faces and the smiles. And so, for sure, uh, I think it's a, it's a great idea. And to make, put it into a routine is very, very smart, because this way, it's it's something that you know uh, you, you can count on, and uh, and it, it it's easy, because you, you it just, you know that, okay, it's my walk home, I know what's happening now, I'm going to call mom, I'm going to call dad, I'm going to call my, my partner. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Maurice, we're going to take a little break and uh, then we'll come back and, and continue talking. I have uh, some, some more questions around uh, post-docking <laughs> and then around uh, your, your, so your science communication pro- projects, which really uh, I, I find very interesting and, uh, uh, and to which people can contribute. So we'll talk about that too. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Maurice Thomas. In part two, we'll discuss the inner workings of the Useful Science Project and what role it has played in Marise's academic journey, so be sure to tune in when the episode drops. If you enjoy the insights shared on the show each week and would like to dig deeper into some of the subjects covered, you can now join the Papa PhD Postgraduate Career Exploration Group on Facebook. There, you will find like-minded listeners, but also a few of the past guests who will be taking part in the conversation. So, to start a conversation, just go to facebook.com forward slash PapaPhD and ask to join. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.